You want the quality of your relationships to tell the truth about Jesus. You do all that you possibly can do. Why? Because you want to lay down with a clear conscience and you don't want to violate the hope and integrity of the gospel. That's what we need to do, church. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of author and speaker Crawford Loritz. Crawford has been in pastoral and organizational Christian ministry for over 40 years. He's authored several books, including Unshaken, Leadership as an Identity, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Well, today we're continuing in a series titled Choose Joy. And so far, we've heard about choosing joy in our circumstances. Today, learning more about choosing joy in our relationships. Now, what are four characteristics of people who choose joy in their relationships? Well, last week, Crawford suggested that these people fight for unity and they act like Jesus. Today, the remaining two, they look to God to validate them and they realize that there's a lot at stake. Let's join Crawford in Philippians chapter 2, here on Living a Legacy. Do not borrow your identity or security from any relationship. You bring identity and security to all your relationships. This is the problem with many a young couple when they get married, they think their new hubby is a fourth member of the Trinity. <laughs> Leroy got some problems, y'all. <laughs> and you're looking for him to be, be what only God can be for you. Now you bring that sense of security with you. You bring that sense of value with you. And every time you start looking for other people to give you what only God can give you, you're a mess. You assign yourself to some roller coaster existence and, and you, 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 you won't like yourself. You are secure. I made you in the image of God. That's what God says to us. You are valuable. I sent my son to die for you. You've got meaning and purpose. You bring that to life and you bring that to relationships. So it begins with this sense of security. Truly humble. The truly humble person knows himself and accepts himself. That's what true humility is about. You're not truly humble if you're going around and making yourself a secondary appendix to somebody else's life. True humility doesn't do that. True humility accepts himself. Yeah, just like Jesus, he, he yielded himself to, to be a servant for the glory of God and the good of others. But he knew where he came from. He knew where he came from. Only secure people are healthy givers. Insecure people tend to drain life from others. Jesus knew who he was. Uh, the, number, the second statement I would make that comes out of this illustration, the first part of verse 7, is that we choose to serve. We are secure. Number two, we choose to serve. The opening line of verse 7 says, but emptied himself. Emptied himself. Now, I can get in a theological ditch here, and I don't, I don't want to go there, but I will say this. Some people have, have, have mis, I think, mis mistranslated or misapplied this whole idea of Jesus emptying himself. And suffice it to say that Jesus divested himself of self-interest, but not of his deity. 
And I, I justify this by the context. Remember, this is an illustration. He said earlier on, don't look on your own interests, but on the interests of others. So in the illustration, he says that Jesus emptied himself. Uh, the dot, dot, dot goes back to the self-interest piece. He emptied himself of self-interest. He didn't empty himself of his deity. He laid aside his self-interest to give himself to something that was bigger than himself. And by the way, have you ever noticed that in the Gospels, it is Jesus who is serving others and not others who serve him? You notice that? You read the Gospel, it's not other people serving Jesus, it's Jesus serving other people. You see, humility and sacrifice comes from a heart of security. He knew who he was. And he laid aside, he said, okay, I know who I am. They can't give me an identity. I bring identity to light. I'm not looking for them to give me anything. I bring it to life. And I, and I, and I gotta tell you this, you know, you, know, you know, one of the things I've learned all these years of ministry, I wanna tell you something. If you want a clear picture of a person's humility, don't, don't watch how they handle their responsibilities. Don't watch how they use their gifts. Don't, don't, don't watch that, don't watch that. Watch how they handle privilege and position. You know, the, the, if they use privilege and position as self-promotion, they're bragging about their bennies and their perks, and they turn everything around to talk about their biographical acceleration and, and what they've done in life, and they're always talking about what they bring to the dance and to the table, and you know, in little vague ways, they look like, how great thou art, and they're into that stuff. That's how you, you really tell. However, if they use privilege and position to empower others, that's true humility. And this is what Jesus did. He, he said, you're more important. In fact, I'm going to lay aside, I'm going to lay aside my self-interest. And everything that I do with my life is going to be about you. Oh, I'm going to get back there to the right hand of God the Father. I'm going to get, I still got that chair. But it's all about you. So I'm going to lay that aside. And I'm going to use my privilege and I'm going to use my position to empower and deliver your souls. Can you imagine what our church would be like if all of us thought that way? Can you imagine if we were secure enough that we would use whatever platform, whatever visibility we had and say, you know what, it's all about you. Wow, could you, can you imagine what would take place? And sin, you know, we got too many people going, oh, I don't know, I, nobody paid me attention. And I was one of, you know, it's, I got stuff. Seriously, I'm only half joking here. The third statement, we identify with others. That's the point of this illustration here. He, he says in the second part of verse 7, he says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Paul is purposeful in this illustration because he's underscoring what it takes to have significant, wonderful, redemptive, God-honoring relationships. What did Jesus do? Well, he, he identified with others. There's a whole point. 
He laid aside his agenda and he became like us. Like us. The larger point here in our relationships is are we on other people's agenda or do we make them get on ours? Do we really care about where they are? What they're going through? What they're facing? Do we truly identify with them? Now, I get it. I get it. There's a breakdown here. Certainly, we are at needy places in our lives. And, you know, I've just been through something myself where I just needed some help and encouragement. We get there. I got it. But by and large, I just think that we think one way too much. There's a guy that I know. I do call him a friend. Whew. You ever meet with people in your life that when you get, after you get finished meeting with them, you need to take a nap? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this dude is draining. And I got a fair capacity, but I got to tell you, you, you don't have a conversation with him. You know, when you, when you go out to eat lunch with him, you, before you get in a restaurant, you go... Okay, strap it on. You sit down, and for the next however long, uh, you are just uh, one big ear listening to everything in his life and all that he's been through and what he's up to and all this other kind of stuff. And then you leave, he has nerve detection, say, man, that was a great time. I go, oh, really? You know? Now, it's a little extreme. Not, not, not all that. <laughs> not all that. Do we care about others? You care about their feelings? Where are they? What are they going through? What are they faced with? Do we read their hearts? He says he, he became like this. I, I, I need, do need to make a little bit of a theological, theological adjustment. By the way, the word likeness here suggests similarity but difference. Though his humanity was genuine, he was different from all of the human beings in that he was sinless, okay? He became like us in human form, but there was a little bit of a difference. But the point being is his compassion and his total identification with us. The fourth statement is this. We willingly sacrifice. And again, this is the point that Paul is making here. He's saying, no, joy is not cheap. Joy in relationships is not cheap. No, 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 no. It, it tells the truth about Jesus. Thus, he, he goes to if there's any compassion and sympathy, et cetera, et cetera. No, you got to do this, and I need you to act like him. Verse, uh, verse 8, again, the second part of verse 8, it says, uh, it says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, emphatic, even death. On the cross, the extent of his sacrifice. Again, this is an illustration of relationships. The humility of Jesus not only included his birth, but his death on the cross. The cross was the most cruel, despicable form of death. It was cruel. And I think what Paul's point is in, in going here with this and this whole sacrifice thing is that many people are willing to serve others as long as it doesn't cost them anything. But service that costs nothing means nothing. There are no cheap crosses, church. 
There are no cheap crosses. And I don't want to get too mystical about this, but the difficulty in our relationships is a picture of the price that Jesus went to to forgive us of our sins. That was the most difficult thing he had to remove. And so just because it's hard doesn't mean you ought to walk away from it. It requires a degree of sacrifice. And we we are filled with most gospel integrity and transparency when we live at the place of sacrifice. That's the nature of our relationship, relationship with God. The third thing that uh, these people who are choosing joy in relationships are characterized by, you know, they, they fight for unity, they act like Jesus, but number three, they look to God for validation. I won't spend a lot of time here, but this is the whole reason why he adds in here the exaltation of Christ. Again, you got to keep in mind the context. He's talking about relationships here. And he says, beginning of verse 9, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I think that there are two certainties that he's underscoring here. And the reason why I think Paul puts this here is to give us hope. Again, it's an illustration. It's to give us hope. To give us hope. The two certainties underscored by him under, uh, m- m- making this observation is that, that, that God will always honor you. God. God will honor you. Not always the people. And in fact, some of us are constantly bruised in our relationships because we're expecting people to give us what only God can give us. And we're always getting our feelings hurt because we, we, we've placed them higher than they need to be. Paul is saying by giving this illustration, no, set your hope on God. God frees you. Do what's right by people without quid pro quo. Do what's right by people without reciprocity. Keep your focus on the Lord. God's going to make sure you get what you need. God will always honor you. The other certainty is that God will reward you even. I'm a testimony to this. I have lived long enough to be messed over and to be hurt. But also lived long enough to see how God has more than given back what has ever been taken away from me in a relationship. More than done that. And I wish I knew 30 years ago what I know now. I'd have spent less time frustrated and angry and upset about what people did. This is why Paul is putting this here. Church, God will take care of you. Believe that. Believe it. And that's what 1 Peter 5, 6 is all about. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand. And in due time, he will exalt you. So I think that's the reason why he talks about the exaltation of Jesus. His glory far exceeded his pain. And so it will be with you. The fourth and the final characteristic of people who choose joy in their relationships is that they remember there's a lot at stake. Paul gets very sober here. He's through this whole thing, he's sober. But I'm going to walk through a text of Scripture that, again, we take out of its context here. And you'll forgive me on this. I think we personalize, we personalize verses 12 and 13 too much. 
we quote these two verses and we want to make it uh, a statement to our personal sanctification. And that's okay. I mean, I think that there's a secondary application here. But keep in mind the context. He's talking about relationships. In this whole chapter, he's talking about relationships. And so what he's saying here, he's talking about not, not you individually. The you here in this, these two verses is you plural. He's talking about the testimony of the church at Philippi. And he's talking about their corporate salvation. I'll read the verses to you. Therefore, my beloved brothers, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as uh, in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for, trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What he's talking about here is that whatever relational struggles and stuff that you have here, Paul is heightening this thing. He said, oh, 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 oh. There's more at stake. There's more at stake. The first thing that is at stake here is that God is in, is in our midst. The expression work out here implies to work to full completion. It's like working out a math problem. It ain't over yet. Just work it till it's full completion. And what he's saying to the church there at Philippi, hey, 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 listen, listen. There's a corporate testimony here. God is at work in your midst. This is a church of the living God. Let me, let me tell you something. What Paul was saying is, look, this ain't no club here, okay? There's no dinner club. This is no, this is no country club here. There's no social club here. This is a church of the living God. You understand me? And what he says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who's at work in you, both the will and the do of your God. In other words, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have a prerogative to kick people to the curb. You got to demonstrate the reality that God is in your midst by how you relate to one another and how you get along with one another. There's a lot more at stake than your personal happiness or your comfort, or I don't like that person, or I don't, I don't care to be around that individual. No, there's a little bit more at stake here. And the second statement that he makes in the next paragraph is that, that uh, uh, the world is watching us. That's what verses 14 through 18 is really all about. I'll just read a few of the verses. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Careful. It's a church to the living God. And God has the power to straighten out all of our relationships. Not only that, the world is watching us in terms of how we handle our relationships. I can tell you nightmare stories about church splits. Most of the time we have the gall and audacity to slap some Bible verses on stuff that is nothing more than pure carnality. Somebody couldn't get their way, and they got mad. It happens all the time. No thought about what about testimony? What are people thinking about Jesus? What are they thinking about us? Let me give you four suggestions based on this. I can tell you all kinds of stories of the disintegration of churches, organizations, and institutions, and all of that that goes back to what Paul is talking about here. Arrogance and pride. Number one, 
make things right with people. Some of us need to make some phone calls today. Some of us need to send some emails today. Some of us need to make some appointments to look people in the eyes today. Make things right with people. The second thing that I would say is uh, give, but don't barter in your relationships. Give. Take the high road. They, they, they just, you know, well, I, you know, I invite them over to lunch. They never invite me over to lunch. I paid for this, and they never paid for this. I, I just, forget that. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Kick it up. Don't barter. You start bartering in relationships, I got to tell you, you ain't going to have too many good friends. Don't barter your relationships. Just give. Number three, run from denial and pretense. Don't fake joy. Don't fake joy. Some of us are conflict averse. And because of that, we, we are reticent. But it eats us alive. You know you've been hurt by people. You know, you know somebody's done you wrong. You know that there's some issues that are not resolved. Don't pretend that, it's, it, don't pretend that it doesn't exist. And please, don't play the spiritual game. Don't play that spiritual game. Oh, I've just given it to the Lord. Well, if, yeah, that, if you have, that's fine. But are you sure you have? Or are you just trying to impress people with the right words? Run for pretense. The truth, transparency. Work on these issues. Resolve them. Do what you need to do. And the fourth and final one is this. Remember, we represent the integrity and hope of the gospel. You want the quality of your relationships to tell the truth about Jesus. So, so you, you know, the, the, the deal is this. Okay, what, what you do is you make sure, though, you reach out and you do all that you possibly can. If they don't want to respond, that's fine. You do all that you possibly can do. Why? Because you want to lay down with a clear conscience and you don't want to violate the hope and integrity of the gospel. That's what we need to do. It is my prayer, and you've heard me say this. You've heard me say this here. I've said this to Karen and others who are close to me to hold me accountable to this. My goal in my life is, that, is to not have anybody that I can't look straight in the eye and say to them, by the grace of God, I don't have anything against you. That's my ambition and goal in life. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, wrapping up the second part of the message, Choose Joy in Our Relationships. Here again are those four characteristics of people who choose joy in their relationships. They fight for unity. They act like Jesus. They look to God to validate them. And they realize that there's a lot at stake. This is all part of a series of messages titled Choose Joy. And to hear all of the messages so far in this series, visit our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Please let us know that you listen on radio or online. This helps us know Crawford's teaching is valuable to you. Was there a recent message that was helpful? Let us know by clicking on the Contact Us link on the website. And if you'd like to contribute to the ongoing expenses of airing this program, there's a link for that too. Go to livingalegacy.org. 
next week, choose joy in our pursuit of Christ. I'm Bill Davis. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.